Welcome to BCG and Wits Business School's Conversations with South African Business Leaders podcast, where we talk to key business and thought leaders making waves in South Africa and across the African continent. Welcome to Backstage Pass. Hello, I'm Nozi Poshabalala, and in this episode, we're asking the question, what kind of business leadership does South Africa need to compete in the future? Now, to help me answer the question, I've got two incredible guests with me in studio. We've got Professor Mills Soko, who is professor at Wits Business School. He is a professor of international business and strategy, and of course, he's former director of the UCT Graduate School of Business. And we also have Nimpini Mabunda with us. He is the CEO of GE International markets. He's also the chairman of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce South Africa Business Chapter. So gentlemen, good afternoon and thank you so much for being here. Good afternoon, Nozipo. Thank you for inviting us. Good afternoon. Now, I want to go back to the question, uh, what kind of business leadership does South Africa need to compete in the future? And Puff, maybe let me start off with you. Why is this question of business leadership important? And in particular, why is it important seeing it as a competitive advantage for South Africa? I suppose what I'm getting to is why now? Why do we need this conversation now? What's changed? The conception of business has changed. How we understand business today is different from how we understood it a few years ago. In the early 1970s, there was an American, uh, prominent American economist called uh, Milton Friedman, mm. who taught at uh, Chicago School of Business. He stated that uh, there was one and only one role that business played in society, and that was to make money, to make profits, and to increase uh, profits. The business of business was business. Mm. Business didn't have to involve itself in social issues. So this is the ethos that has guided boardroom conduct over the the past uh, decades. But uh, in recent years, we've seen how private corporations have undergone changes. And these changes have been brought about by the large number of issues that now they're increasingly being called upon to to deal with, including the environment, inequality, social exclusion, uh, and ethical failures. Uh, For example, the fallout from the global financial crisis in 2008, 2009, as well as the collapse of the American energy firm Enron Mm. in 2001. So we're seeing uh, this trend accelerating, especially in light of the uh, COVID-19 pandemic, where companies now are increasingly embracing this notion of a, a purpose-driven business, right. which uh, is a term that was coined by an Oxford uh, Business School professor, Colin Meyer. Essentially, profit-driven businesses, uh, purpose-driven businesses are businesses, you know, they are concerned about making money. They are concerned about driving profitability and success, but they're also equally concerned about social impact and environmental impact. So this is where we are in terms of understanding a business today and how the conception of business today is different from how we understood it a few decades ago. So if that's the context and the picture that we're painting, Nipini, where we're saying there used to be this framework or this dominant school of thought that says we are in the business of business and suddenly we're finding a new and emergent uh, context that says actually it's a whole lot more than that. just that. It's about purpose and profits together. Are current leaders 
equipped with that mindset? And do we need to be thinking radically differently about what leadership needs to look like in the future? Uh, thanks, Nuzipo. I don't think we are equipped, to be fair, yeah. but we are getting there. There's an evolution happening in how uh, we look at leadership and developing leaders. And I think one of the key buzzwords you hear in business today is agility. Yeah. Uh, back in the days when I was uh, at uh, doing my undergraduate, we were always um, thinking about five-year, ten-year forecasts. And the strategy and the vision would even be 30, 40 years. These days, um, you're lucky if you can get your focus right for three years. Yeah. You know, th- so much change. Uh, people talk about the VUCA uh, environment mm. in which we, we lead, which is um, about volatility, uncertainty, complexity, as well as ambiguity. Yeah. But there's also two Ds that have been added to that VUCA world. So it's called d mm. and And the D is about disruption. And uh, diversity. So that disruption is on digital and then diversity. So you can imagine, uh, as we've seen in, in, in COVID, how much things have changed. And therefore, as leaders, how do we become agile and adapt as we go? Mm. How do we become comfortable with not having all of the data and the information? How do we actually go back to the basics of intuition and guts? And how do we actually open up to take a little bit more risks? All of that requires a different kind of an imaging leader. And, and I think what is key to that is learning is as important as unlearning. Right. You know, there are certain things to talk about what got you here won't take you there. And we have to really think about things that are no longer relevant and unlearn and challenge ourselves. And so a lot is changing, yet some of the basics are true. A lot is changing, Prof. We're learning or unlearning, maybe even relearning in the process. Are business schools keeping up? I mean, business schools, uh, your forte, your space used to be where you used to look for, for the next generation of business leaders. Are they keeping up the pace and are they fit for the future as we think about this new kind of devoked leader that we're trying to create? Uh, traditional business schools are at a crossroads. Yeah. Uh, they're faced with an existential crisis. If they do not reform, if do not change and respond to the contemporary challenges that we, we face. Firstly, they're faced with tremendous competition from uh, agile, uh, disruptive platforms, um, you know, like um, Singularity University, corporate universities, and other innovative uh, platforms like uh, Codesra. So we we have to compete not only with traditional business schools, mm-hmm. but also with new platforms, including uh, management consulting firms that have positioned themselves as business schools. Yeah, you know, such as McKinsey and and PwC, including a. Uh, Boston uh, Consulting Group. <laughs> so we are having to continually reassess where we stand as business schools. Uh, we need to focus on building um, partnerships with uh, with our uh, other business schools and other and, and companies. But we also need to focus on um, uh, reforming our curricula. 
yeah. uh, to focus not only on the core functional areas of businesses and, and, and management, you know, like operations, marketing, and, uh, and human resources and all those core functional mm. areas. Now look at the new emerging areas to focus on, you know, like analytics, uh, data science, you know, how, you know, all those. So we, artificial intelligence, this is the new challenge that faces business schools. So we have to um, become relevant to the context in which you operate. We also have to have social impact. Yeah. And more importantly, we have to contribute towards fostering sustainability in our communities. Mm. It sounds like the mandate is going broader and larger. So not only just being in the business of leadership, but as you said, in the business of relevance, of context, of impact, of social inclusion. Nibina, I think I heard you wanting to add to that. Yes, I did. I think one of the key things we've seen in this new world yes. is collaboration and co-creation. So more and more more business schools are actually working with their clients, being the companies, um, the executive clients. I've been involved in a few of the business school um, strategy sessions, for instance, where we say, so what, what do clients need going forward? And what are these business schools pro- providing? Where should they adapt? And I think the co-creation and the partnership between business schools and private sector or companies or organizations that support it's the theme going forward mm. because we need to give feedback. Yeah. We also need to share with them some of the new tools that we use in private sector as well as uh, the thinking of where we're going. What are the issues we're yeah. dealing with? And it's the application, right? So yeah. it's yeah. it's to be able to say it's the it's the ground of practice yeah. and the application. So you're seeing more and more on that professors of practice. Yeah. You're seeing some of the uh, former executives also going to teach um, I mean, like the head of first business school, yes, right? Yeah. Um, uh, Professor Adebe himself is a former executive. And I think that cross-pollination of ac- academics and executives is what will help us going into the future. Yeah. So that's, that's what gives me business schools the competitive edge. When you look at business schools across the world today, you know, they almost offer the same thing. There's very little difference mm. in what they offer. But what gives them a competitive edge are partnerships. Those business schools that are able to forge partnerships, not only with business, but with all the other societal actors, right. like multilateral institutions, uh, like the United Nations, mm-hmm. like yeah. the African Union, and, and many other, the NGOs, that's what gives them the edge, you know, the, the distinctive a competitive advantage mm, from yeah. other institutions. So I, I want to maybe go back to the corporate angle because I think it's quite important. So what I'm hearing you saying is that we've got business schools who are all who are in their own journey of evolution in responding to this new environment. Um, you've got, on the other hand, even consulting outfits who are also saying we are a source of learning. But inside the corporate Mentorship and coaching, Yimpini, to what extent has that really lived up to the promise of being the mechanism through which we hand over the baton between the old leadership and the new leadership? Are we getting that right or, or is it pretty fuzzy in terms of what it actually looks like in practice? Yeah, I think it's clear that uh, the results are mixed, right? Yeah. If you look at many senior appointments, Fortune 500, JSE, top 40 senior appointments, um, there's a a higher index of external appointments than internal succession mm. than companies would like, 
right? And uh, in the last 15, 20 years, organizations have not made as much progress in diversity from a gender point of view, much as they would have loved to, yeah. right? And your mentorship and coaching is critical towards changing that. Yeah. And yet it hasn't happened. So I think that that shows you that the success is, is quite mixed. And I think the challenge is that Mentorship and coaching is quite fashionable. It's things that people talk about, but very few know how to do. Sure. I had a chat, and I'd like to agree with uh, with uh, Nyepini. I had a chat with the, the chairwoman of uh, Anglo-American South Africa. Yes. Uh, Nolita Fakude yes. uh, uh, recently, who said to me, you know, she spent a lot of time as a leader uh, campaigning for racial equality yeah. within the corporate sector. And her track record is impeccable. But she said to me, the biggest uh, failure and the biggest regret she has was not to push for gender representativity in the mm. same way as she did yeah. for, for, racial, mm. for race. And so we have a scandalous situation uh, in South Africa today when you look at a gender representation within the corporate sector. It's a, it's a, it's disgraceful. And yes. uh, I'm, I'm very glad that uh, leaders accept that. And some have taken on the challenge to address that. And we've seen that with the uh, leadership at MTN yeah. uh, mm. recently. Yeah. So when you look at JSE listed companies, the number of CEOs, not just CEOs, but even middle level management, yeah. uh, it's a, it's a disgraceful situation. So when we talk about mentorship, we cannot talk about it in isolation from the need to build diversity in our yeah. society. Yeah. And I think for me, that is why I say the system from a mentorship and coaching has failed because it hasn't delivered mm. racial, no gender diversity. Let me and, and, and the point is uh, to, to what you're saying, Prof, is that the leader of the future, coming back to the topic, is a diverse leader. Because the leader of the future is the one who needs to understand the customer. And more and more of the customer is women as they become more empowered and having the economic power. And the future customer is also emerging market customer. Yeah. The mm. leadership today mm. does not represent that. Yeah. And therefore, if we don't bring in the minorities yeah. and women we don't have the leader of the future yeah. who would have failed. So I wanted to say, and I love the point, I wanted to say, let me be a bit difficult. Sure. What about sponsorship? Because are we not then maybe looking at mentorship and coaching? We're saying, okay, it's not yielding the results that we want. So we're just going to sponsor people through so that we can, we can push for that representation and we can push for, for the numbers across diversity. And does sponsorship almost come as an afterthought or should we be thinking about it is a consolidation of sponsorship? embedded or anchored around mentorship and coaching your thoughts first of all sponsorship is critical yes right because it's about having someone who can speak for you when you're not in the room yeah right however sponsorship also requires taking a risk as a leader and what we really lack um, in, in leadership today generally is people who are prepared to take risks. People are happy with safe bets. Yeah. But when you sponsor someone, you put in your neck on the block for them mm. to say, actually say that, trust me, appoint this, this person, yeah. they will do well. And, and, and I, many of us have been there because there are people who spoke for us when we we're not there and even believed in us more than we believe in ourselves at some point. But I don't think there's enough sponsors out there. Sponsorship would be even more critical than mentorship and coaching because it actually gives access 
to opportunities. Mm. So, so another linkage to this, because I think yeah. I think that contribution was brilliant, mm. and that is: have we been blindsided, Prof, by focusing on leadership, and as we do that, looking to the top layer, looking to the executive or the C-suite? Have we forgotten about the second, third layer down from the chief executive? Yeah. And if we got that right, how does it? change the pipeline of leadership that we're trying to build in the country? Yeah. The operative word for me, it's bold leadership. Mm. I uh, have the academic license to be to be honest about this. I, I interact with uh, business leaders and uh, a lot of what they say is not um, what they practice. Mm. And uh, we need bold leadership in the sense that uh, you need to take risks, you know, as, as leaders. And what I found with South African business leaders, and I don't want to generalize, is that there is this uh, a reluctance to take risks. Because when you make a mistake, it gets yeah. punished. It has implications. So people are always very, very cautious about making decisions. And if they don't think that um, those who make the real decisions will agree with what they are proposing. They'd rather keep quiet and not do anything about it. So we have this huge problem where we can say uh, we, we need mentorship, we need sponsorship, we need all types of empowerment yes. to drive this country, to make sure that we bring everybody into the mainstream of decision-making, mainstream economy. And in the process of doing so, we will make mistakes. We will make mistakes. We can't say, oh, it will all be perfect, right? Because we have so much to do in terms of undoing the legacy of apartheid uh, in this country. The unfortunate consequence of lack of risk taken is that we've fallen down uh, the rankings on innovation. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in, to build a future we want, a future leader has got to be innovative. Yeah. And at the heart of innovation is risk-taking. And we are not bold enough um, as leaders in South Africa in taking risks. That's a fact. So, mm. so mm. I'm going to be that awful voice of doom sure. and gloom and say that uh, we're almost at the end of this conversation. So I want to sneak in one or two questions. Nibini, I want to sneak in the first question to you. Subtitle of your book, Take Charge, the subtitle says, speaks about the most impactful life lessons uh, on the road to CEO. I just want your big one, the one that fundamentally changed the way you think about leadership, the way you you show up as a leader, and it's shaped the CEO that you are today. One of my leaders or mentors said to me one time that, listen to what is not being said. Mm. I think the reality is that politics matters. The reality is that street wisdom matters. And the reality is that there's so many things that we read about and get told about, but there's so many other things that matters and no one tells you. Sure. So be streetwise. Listen to what is not being said. Now, Prof, you are in the business of churning out leaders um, in your different spaces. And we look to you as we think about this pipeline. What is the one thing you never forget in any lecture hall, in any conversation, in any interaction with a a, a business, uh, a potential business leader, what's the one thing you you're definitely telling them not to forget? The importance of uh, learning, continual learning, and continual reinvention, personal uh, reinvention. Because successful businesses are those that continually reinvent themselves. 
And if you uh, uh, remain stagnant, you remain complacent, your disruptors will remove you from the perch where you are. Hmm. Your disruptors will remove you unless you're always learning. Now, whenever we talk about future leadership, we also want to bring it back home. We want to almost ask ourselves the question, what could this look like for me? What are the habits, the behaviors, the attitudes that I need to adopt? So my final question to the both of you is exactly the same. Nimbin, I'm going to come to you first. Just three attributes or behavioral traits that you think without these, we would have failed at building competent future leaders that make this country competitive. What are those three? Importantly is to be curious. Mm -hmm. Curiosity all the time and challenge yourself to keep on learning Mm -hmm. and seeing what's happening around you. I think that's very important. The second one for me is about stakeholder management, Mm. including those that you don't like and those that might be conflicting. We like working and staying on the side of people who support us. But in any situation, there's supporters, there's also detractors. You need to equally manage the detractors to grow. It's necessary to do it like that. And then lastly, it's about agility. Yeah. Uh, Appreciating that the path that we thought we'll travel is not always that straightforward. So how do we actually adopt and move forward and, and know that there will be obstacles but you just move around them and keep going. Sure. Excellent. Curiosity, I'd say inclusivity, agility as the three uh, from Nimpini. And yeah. Prof, take us home. Three things, behavioral traits. The, the, the three for me, you know, uh, leaders today must have global knowledge. Yeah. They must have an ethical compass. It's very important. And they must also be committed to, to citizenship. Hmm. What do we mean by citizenship in a world that seems to be challenging globalization in particular and becoming more nationalistic? What do we mean by that? It is globalization that has brought about the importance of citizenship. Mm. So what globalization has done is to heighten social expectations of firms. There are society, stakeholders that are demanding more from companies today than they did 20 years ago. Yeah, And that is because Globalization is make them transparent. Yeah. So they can't just focus on the business of business. They need to focus on other things, the social needs of their communities. They need to be uh, intellectually engaging the leaders. They need to have, to have a bias towards uh, risk and yes. action. Yeah. Uh, they have to. Uh, they have to give hope. Right. They have to give hope. So they have to have that global knowledge that goes beyond business expertise. Business expertise is very important, but you also need other types of knowledge to understand the complexities of globalization. And you can only get that knowledge from other disciplines like history, like literature, like linguistics, like philosophy. So a, a business leader, when I talk about global knowledge and commitment to citizenship, mm. it must encompass all that. It's not just about running your business and making money. It's about understanding the complexities that are brought by the interconnectedness mm. of yeah. globalization. Yeah. So on that note, beyond the business of just doing business and towards a leadership that is able to give hope. It's a very big thank you to Prof Soko as well as to Nimbini Mabunda. My name is Nozipo Shabalala. What an excellent conversation. And I do hope that you will join us for the next one.